Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning, everybody. I'm Morgan Cunningham, and welcome to Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, Light 100.5 WRCH, and 96.5 TIC. I'm here this morning with Dr. Emiliano Villanueva, a professor of marketing and business administration at Eastern Connecticut State University. Good morning, Dr. Villanueva. Thanks for being here. Good morning to you. And we're here to talk about wine. It's one of your specialties, and a lot of people are going to start thinking about what they can do this spring and summer and going to wineries and vineyards and just socializing at those kinds of places. It's on people's to-do list. If it's not yet, it's going to be very soon. So could you give us kind of a preview of wine in Connecticut and you know maybe that excitement people are feeling about going to a winery this year. It's getting to be wine season. A lot of people are going to be going outside, checking out vineyards, and uh, looking to get outdoors after a cold winter. Isn't that true? That is exactly the point. I was I was just thinking about the, the season starting soon for our little wineries in Connecticut and, and do our visits, regular visits, I hope, to the, to the wineries we got here in the state. And the, most of those are into the Connecticut Wine Passport Program, which I do recommend people to pay attention to that. It's a very interesting activity for the spring and the summer. At Eastern Connecticut State University, you're a professor for marketing and business administration in that area, right? Correct. And yeah. you specialize kind of in the wine industry and you incorporate wine into your classes. Could you talk a little bit about your background with wines? Yes, uh, that. That's a fair question because the background says it all, meaning that in my case, um, my family was into wine, has been into wine for generations, and, and both my grandfather and my, my father were both uh, winemakers, and especially my dad was in charge of big wineries, medium-sized wineries, small wineries, all of his career. And in my case, when it came to decide what to do with my life, of, of course, wine was part of the decision. I chose to go more into the business side of it. So I did a, an MBA, but it was a wine MBA. So it's the business and economics and marketing uh, of wine. And uh, ended up here in Connecticut teaching at Eastern Connecticut State University. Uh, and we're probably for the area of wine, it was not, and it, but it's becoming to be more of a, an interesting topic, I hope, for, for many of us living here in the state. So how I put that into my classes, which was actually the question at the end, Morgan. Well, actually, I tried to 
my research, which is very applied into the wine business, brings me a lot of good examples, I hope, into my international business or marketing classes. Yeah. Talking just about the product of wine, a little history lesson here. This is kind of a European product, but it has spread globally, hasn't it? Exactly. I think it's a, it's a fair assessment to say that in the last two, three hundred years, it is, of course, a European product led by the French, by the Italians, by the Spaniards, and and with the British as well, then they, of course, colonize and the immigrants bringing wine to all over the world. The Catholic Church played a huge role, of course, on the dissemination of wine, particularly in the Americas, South America, North America. But now the, the interesting part of the wine business evolution, I would say globally, is that wine is becoming to be more widespread and, and now is a, is, a, is a product that is becoming to be not only European, which the roots are, but global in, in terms of the interest that, that wine provokes. Now, in many societies that they were not very into wine, like the Chinese one, or even in ours here in the United States, wine consumption has been growing in the last 40, 50 years, and that says a lot. How does a product like wine get a footing in the United States? You know, how do how do people go about discovering something that may be new, maybe 50, 60 years ago, as you say, uh, it, it started to emerge as a popular product in the United States? And there are so many different kinds of wines as well. How do people start to discover it? Yeah, that, that is a, a very interesting question for our research into wine business, because I, for example, do some research and I've done some uh, research here in the, in the Connecticut wine industry, which is you know, small and new into those initial stages, but we can extrapolate that into the United States and say, you know, that the mindset and the approach to wine is different. Meaning in Europe, traditionally wine was part of, and is part of already of many of those traditional societies, like as I said, wine being part of the French, the Spaniard or the Italian uh, societies and culture and is wine and wine consumption but it, when it comes to the united states i think it's been changing because now we associate here in the country wine to a social activity that gives the winery a place to celebrate so that's why we're not only talking about wine here in the united states in most of the cases but wine hospitality or wine tourism so there is an association of wine being an attribute of a certain other product, which is probably tourism. So to finish with the point, of course, California is different because California wine has been there forever, or at least in the history of the United States, two or 300 years. And wine, and wine in California, it is intrinsic to the, to, to the culture and the, and, the, um, and the state. But now you can see now today that all 50 states have at least some wineries. And that development is mostly associated with what I was just saying, wine hospitality and wine tourism. So not only wine per se as the product, but the wine uh, attribute of a, of a product that is kind of bringing people together, socializing, celebrating weddings or anniversaries. And that is presenting for people in Europe a different mindset on how to approach the wine industry and the wine culture. I love how you brought up California there as well, because when people think about the United States and wine, a lot of people kind of gravitate toward California. They've had an established uh, wine model there. But in Connecticut, here we are way on the other side of the country, on the East Coast. Dr. Villanueva, 
how does Connecticut possibly compete against a California or even against imports, maybe from Italy? No, no, you don't compete. <laughs> I mean, no, this is a very small niche industry. So you don't need to compete with California or to French wines or or South African or Australian wines. You need to find your own little uh, part of the market. That And I think we got it in Connecticut, a small industry. But um, the industry of wine in Connecticut is associated, as I was saying, to that the economic sustainability of the wine industry of Connecticut is extremely correlated and associated with tourism. So that's what you do. You sell your wine at the winery. Of course, we're in the initial stages of the industry. It's only a 40-year-old, 50-year-old industry in Connecticut. Used to have 10 in wineries. Now we do have 40, 50, 60. Uh, 40 of them participate on the Connecticut Wine Passport Program I was mentioning before. So I'm just saying there are small farms, small wineries. They sell at the door. They sell at the winery. That is exactly the niche. And some of them, very few, actually get into the, the distribution system within the states. But more, more than 90% of the wine of Connecticut is sold. Uh, and of course, here in the state, within the state of Connecticut. So uh, that's why I'm sorry. I'm just trying to say, Morgan, that yeah, I wouldn't say that we need to eventually compete. We need to find the, the place to where we can actually grow from. So basically, Connecticut is working on Connecticut's needs. You know, the, the people, the consumers of Connecticut have found a need for Connecticut wineries is pretty much what you're saying, right? It, it serves that us is, locally. That is happening. Yeah, yeah. That is that is the local development of a, of a very, uh, uh, um, of an industry that is starting to, to, you know, to grow because that's a very good news for Connecticut. Our industry is growing and it's growing a lot because in the last 30, 40 years, we've been from almost nothing, scratch to, to something now that we can actually have a conversation about, which is very important for us. But it's not isolated. The case of Connecticut is comparable to Rhode Island, to New Jersey, to, um, I wouldn't say Alabama eventually. I wouldn't say Virginia. Virginia, 450 wineries, you know. New York, New York State, of course, you cannot compare, you know. We're talking about different scales. That is, that is, the, that is the point here. And I think we're doing a, a great job in Connecticut at least to have the industry uh, uh, to get people interested in wine. And, and the landscape is amazing. It's beautiful here because it's a different type of, of grapes that we grow, different types of landscape that we have. So that is an interesting part of, of, of the Connecticut wine industry. It's funny because I was just going to ask you, how does Connecticut's landscape, the geography of the nutmeg state, impact wines and vineyards here at home? I, I wouldn't say hurts or help. I think what we're learning is that wine is now present in many places that you wouldn't go for 30, 40 years ago. But there has been a lot of scientific, innovative practices. And now we grow grapes uh, in states or places that are like from Connecticut itself, very cold weather. So in wine, I mean, it's a matter of course, the the conditions, the the, the weather conditions, the soil conditions. and and yeah, you would probably say, well, we don't have the best conditions, but that, that was before now, after 40, 50 years of, of innovative practices and new grapes that are more adaptable to the land and to these particular conditions, you can grow good grapes, you can have good wine. And that is exactly the point. I mean, we're learning and now you can have wineries. I visited wineries not only in Connecticut, but in Sweden or in the, in the United Kingdom. I mean, close to London, that was never the case. So I'm just trying to, to say that 
we are moving forward into a new type of global industry with very new types of players, very new types of industries, and every every one of us got a place in the industry. That is the good news, you know. I've even noticed that some wineries, you know, that have a, a very summer-focused season for selling. A lot of people go in the summer, but yet they also sell their product in the winter, too. They have enough that's bottled up, and they sell in the winter time as well. And that's one interesting aspect of Connecticut. Maybe it's not favorable to sit outside in December, but you can still buy the product in the winter, right? Absolutely, absolutely. That is the beauty of, of our industry here. It invites people to come all over the all over the year, most probably, of course, the best seasons could eventually be now, but the good news is that you can also visit on during the winter and you will find Connecticut wine in the shelves of, of many of our wine stores in the, in the state. And very kind of, you know, New York state or Massachusetts, but, and that is the good news about our industry is growing is, is attracting attention. And, uh, and that is, that is the part of, for example, I don't know, I'm just trying to, get the point that we all have a place. I was reading today about wines from Bolivia, because when you say South America, of course, you've got a, a, a huge, important uh, producer like Argentina, and then, of course, you've got Chile. But no one's talking about Bolivia. And Bolivia, they got a smaller industry that is growing. So that is exactly a point. I mean, Virginia, go here in, in the country, go to Virginia, and, and you will see, oh, that's a small industry. It's not. We're talking about 451 is huge, the industry of wine in, in Virginia. So good news for me, yeah, as a, as a very, as a person interested, not only personally, but professionally in the industry. And no matter where you are, Dr. Villanueva, we're speaking with Dr. Villanueva, professor at Eastern Connecticut State University this morning on Face Connecticut. But when we think about social activities, um, whether it's a summer gathering with friends, maybe a birthday, a wedding, Wineries, Connecticut or anywhere else, really, they always have a fit, right? That is exactly uh, how I would characterize that. I mean, the fit, because wine itself is a social product. Okay, besides the organoleptic characteristics, besides the the aromatic characteristics, besides all of those um, winemaking characteristics of the wine, wine itself is a social product. So it may probably, and it, it needs to provoke that social occasion. So playing that that game of attracting customers to wine, because we sell that, not only the wine, but also the atmosphere of wine, I think is amazing. I think we do a good job here in Connecticut. Driving around just the other weekend, I noticed a road sign for the Connecticut Wine Trail. Uh, you could go on the internet and you could look up the Connecticut Wine Trail. And this is one way that wineries in Connecticut are spreading word of themselves. Yeah, and it's a very interesting initiative. The Passport Program, as it's called, the wine trails we have in Connecticut, I think they preserve the heritage of our own industry because every single wine industry in the world is different, of course, from the other. And the interesting part about wine trails is the heritage approach to it approach to it. Because when you sell wine in Connecticut, you're not only selling wine, you're also selling the landscape of Connecticut, the particularities of the soil, the weather, the people that actually work with wine in Connecticut, etc. So the wine trail is a, is a huge recommendation I would give to anyone from Connecticut or visiting Connecticut, because it's a very good way to know about Connecticut people and how we deal with, for example, 
I think a very important, interesting product such it is wine. When you go out and look for a winery, what do you look for? Is it the location? Is it the taste? Is it the kinds of wines that they're serving and selling? I'm in love with the wine industry because it's not only about the product, as I said, per se, but it's about what it creates. So when you're asking that, I would recommend, again, seriously, to visit our wineries in Connecticut, to visit our wineries in Rhode Island, very on the on the initial stages of, of development, but very interesting farm wineries. People are very, I visited them all. So, I mean, I wouldn't go one or the other because I personally visit them all. And I send my students from Eastern Connecticut State University, of course, that they've done research with me and, and they've been visiting them and asking too many questions probably. But I'm just saying it's, it's, it's interesting to, to know about our, our wine industry here in the States. But then also, I, for example, in the region, the rosés or the wines produced in Long Island is their very interesting wines. Or of course, in in uh, in the Finger Lakes in New York, I'm talking about, you know, clothes, the Virginia industry. I like wine from Virginia as well. But then of course, California is the, is the iconic destination of wine in North America. Not because of because, it's because it is, you know, California wines are really good. Uh, and they got a good, um, let's say, historical background that now puts them where they are. And then, of course, in the in the world, you've got many interesting wine destinations, and, and they're changing. I was, I couldn't believe that, but I was there in two years ago in India, and even in India now is a new uh, wine uh, industry growing. So I was in a in a in a small uh, valley in India, and so I'm just trying to say that the industry is growing in places that they were not before. A little curious here, Dr. Villanueva, speaking this morning on Face Connecticut with Dr. Villanueva at Eastern Connecticut State University. When you travel from winery to winery, whether it's in Connecticut, maybe uh, state to state, country to country, and so forth, do you find that there are different business models or business practices that work in one location but not another? Because every winery kind of has its own niche. Do you find that their business model is different or is it kind of the same? You know, I've, I've done some, you know, academic research on business models in the wine industry. And so it, it, it wouldn't be fair if we say they're all standardized, although there are certain practices that they grow in terms of the cycle of life of the industry. So, for example, in our case in Connecticut, we're very into the introductory life cycle for the, inter for the, for the industry. But then you go, for example, to, let's say, Portugal or, or Spain, and they are all very mature on the life cycle. So the business models are different. And the interesting thing here, when you come back to the United States, as I was saying at the beginning of our conversation, yes, the business model is different because it is paying attention to certain attributes to the wine industry that are that were putting a lot of emphasis. For example, this uh, economic sustainability through hospitality and tourism, having a restaurant on your winery or having an event organize at your winery, it may seem to be obvious for us living here, but it's not the case in many other places in the world. So um, the point being this, that you're going to find those business models to be different in many occasions. So when you, when, when you go here in Connecticut or in the area, it'll be kind of standardized probably, but it will be for you when you travel to another country to realize how differ, different those wine business models are. Okay, you've got people in other countries that they they will never get any tourists into the wineries because 
they just focus on selling, I don't know, low quality wine to whatever. I mean, I'm just trying to say that business models may differ. they be very different from area to other areas, okay? I guess one of my remaining questions for now is what happens next when it comes to marketing Connecticut's wine industry? If we're our own island, if we have our own niche and we're not comparable to California or Italy by far, then how do we grow our industry at home? How do we grow awareness among people in our state that this is something that we do have to offer here? I would say, if you allow me to say, that's a very clever question, Morgan, because it needs a lot of discussion. But what it comes next to Connecticut is to find the grape that you would like to be the standard in terms of um, uh, finding an iconic grape that represents your wine industry. Because at this time, the winers of our state are very young. They're fully experimenting with different types of grapes. And we even allow here in Connecticut, the law allows for wineries to import grapes or juice, grape juice, to get wines that are, of course, the winemaking is done here in Connecticut, but the grapes are coming from California or from New York or from Chile, actually. That is exactly what we need to do, hopefully, in the next decade. We're not going to say that tomorrow because the industry is growing. We're having the right, I think, I suppose, the producers are having the right conversations. But what it comes to Connecticut, I think, is to differentiate itself with, this is the one from Connecticut. Because when you say, and this is very important for marketing purposes, when you say uh, Argentina, most people say Malbec. Malbec is a, is a strong red wine, mostly coming from Argentina. So these guys are well-known nation- internationally by the Malbec grape. When you say California, of course, it's going to be Cabernet Sauvignon, eventually Sinfandel for the locals here in the United States, and Chardonnay. Or when you say France, is of course Bordeaux, which is not a grape, but a regional uh, denomination. When you say, so I'm just trying to show you that when you say, for example, New Zealand is going to be Sauvignon Blanc, or when you say Australia, most probably it's going to be Syrah. That doesn't mean that you don't produce any other types of wines, but it's the grape that it comes to be the right representation of your land, of your heritage, of your industry. Do we have that one in Connecticut? Not yet, but we've got very interesting grapes here on our own uh, land. Of course, most of those are white grapes, white types of grape, because here, because of climate, because of weather, because of land, it's very difficult to grow interesting red type of grapes. Uh, but those white grapes, for example, I'm saying Cayuga, or I'm saying, um, um, let's think about Ceval, or, or one of those are, or they need to be eventually in some place, in some time or the other, to be defined to be okay, these are our wines from Connecticut, the ones that we that we grow in Connecticut. Just to finish the point there, that is that's why it's so an, so interesting question, Morgan. In Connecticut, we got a, a, a regulation that states that your wine can be labeled as Connecticut grown if it has 51% of the grapes that are being grown here in Connecticut. Okay, so I think we need to move that way to have many more wineries and many more wines Connecticut grown with our own grapes, okay? For you to see, I was having a, a little chat with a colleague there then, and, and the colleague said to me, I went to this winery and I loved it here in Connecticut. And they offered me a great red, red wine. So then I asked a little bit more. So 
yeah, yeah, the red wine was from grapes of California, and it was and it was there uh, into a barriques or you know from Tennessee whiskey. So I'm just saying that is a Connecticut product, but is that a representation of our wine industry? I don't know. Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Dr. Emiliano Villanueva this morning on Face Connecticut. He's from Eastern Connecticut State University, a professor of business administration and marketing. I really appreciate your time here. I think we could talk about wine again in another episode. So much more that we could touch on. Any final thoughts? The very good news for us in Connecticut, our industry is booming in terms of numbers. I mean, we used to have 10 wineries, now we got more than 50. And that shows that the industry is working that we are liking their products and that is good news so thank you again regarding my students i always push them to to at least pay attention uh to the industry because it's offering good jobs in logistics and distribution and of course the other day i visited one winery and one of my students that i didn't know was the, the manager of the little winery so so happy to see him again so i'm just saying the industry provides around a thousand jobs in connecticut this industry is providing a thousand jobs so And most of those jobs are related to the wine, but also to the hospitality industry. All right, Dr. Villanueva, thanks for being here. I'm Morgan Cunningham, and we'll be back next week with another edition of Face Connecticut. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.